Welcome to week number two of a new series. Uh, before we get started, if you did not get a handout and you want to follow along with your notes, that is the 11th commandment. It's in your word. Thou shalt follow along with these notes, and you shall reap a long life. No, that's not in the Bible, but it does help. We've got all the scriptures listed for you, so if you want to follow along, grab one real quickly. Also, before we get into the word this morning, I want to take a moment and recognize some people that are that are very much a part of our family. We love them, and they're visiting this morning. John and Joyce Hanson, missionaries to Haiti. Let's welcome them on the front row. We love them very, very much. How long have y'all been uh, serving on Haiti now? It's like uh, 50 years. 50 years. Let's give God some praise for 50 years of service. Man, we love them very, very much, and we're thankful. They're the ones that lead the uh, mission, mission work in Haiti when we, serve, when we serve and give those Haiti boxes to those kids. They're the ones who distribute that to all those kids on those schools and are a big, big, a big blessing. And so we're thankful to have them here this morning. Now, uh, before we get into it this morning, I'm going to give you a couple disclaimers. One is, I plan on just being blunt today. So... I hope you know that about me already. I'm going to just have some fun, so I'm going to already encourage you to lighten up a bit today. It is a relationship marriage series, so I might say some things that make you tense. It's okay. It's okay. Um, I'm also going to say this. Today's a day where I'm thankful that you didn't vote me in because <laughs> you may want to vote me out. I'm just joking. It won't be that bad. Um... If there are children in here, you might want to go to children's church today. It would be a really great day to go have fun with some other children and not hear Pastor Josh's adult message. It's PG-13. I mean, give me a break. I know we're in church, but it, it is very much in your face, and so I wanted to be honest with everybody. So you've been fairly warned. Bow your heads and let us pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that as we get into your presence, Lord, you were blunt, honest with us, and we just want you to continue to change and transform hearts and lives. So, Lord, we open ourselves up to that word. Lord, I'm also thankful that as we get into your presence, your Holy Spirit has the ability to speak. So I, I'm going to be preaching on relationships and marriages and what your word says. But, Lord, you know what people need, even beyond what my ability is to, to preach it. And so I thank you, Lord, that you might, I might say one thing and you speak a completely different thing to somebody. You have the right to do that. You are God. So we let you be God in our lives, but Lord, we ask that your, you would help your people to grow in our faith, in our love for you and for each other today. We give you praise for these things in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, let's get this rolling. We started a series last week called Relationship Goals, and essentially what we decided was I'm not going to live in my past. I'm not going to let the pain, I'm not going to let the hurt, I'm not going to let the mistakes, I'm not going to let the regret, I'm not going to let issues and hang-ups from my past, especially when it comes to past relationships, carry over into the rest of my life. Why in the world would I want to bring hurt and pain and regret and all those bad habits into my life right now, into my future? No, I'm putting a stop to it. And so we decided we're going to set some new relationship goals. We're going to look in God's Word and decide this is what God's Word says about my life. I'm going to be a doer of this Word. I'm going to apply it, and I'm going to see what happens. And um, we, we also uh, pulled out some Scripture, and we decided that since God word, God's word teaches that his, word, that his mercy and his compassion is new every single morning, 
that that's how we were going to establish this perspective of teaching. We were going to filter it through the fact that since God renews His compassion and His mercy for us every morning, we're going to let ourselves forgive. We're going to let ourselves, uh, that mercy and that compassion, extend to the people in our lives as well. And the Bible ends that verse by saying, great is His faithfulness. How many of you are thankful that we serve a faithful God? So His mercy is not just renewed on Sundays. His mercy mercy is renewed every day. So you can wake up every single day and receive fresh mercy from God. I don't know about you, but there are some days where I need it. And I am thankful that it's there for me. And so we we said, here's how this plays out in terms of relationships. I'm going to put God as my one. I'm going to serve him first. But then I'm going to put my spouse as my number two. So I'm going to serve God first. I'm going to seek him. And if you're in a dating relationship, I'm going to seek him while preparing for my second my spouse. But if you're in a marriage relationship, you decided that I'm going to seek God with my spouse. And there was a different, different application for both. And so as we, as we got into that, we, just said, we said we were going to give you opportunities. So we provided Bible studies online. We did simple little teachings and gave you scriptures and questions. Uh, we said you need to pray for each other every single day. And at the core essence of last week, it was seek God first. With everything you got, seek him first. Matthew 6 teaches us that if you seek him first, he adds. He takes care of all the rest of the stuff. Now, a lot of us think that we're seeking him first, but are we really? A lot of us think we're seeking him first better than what we really are. Because if you're really seeking him first, then you don't just pursue, pursue Jesus on Sundays. If you're really seeking him first, then your conversation on Monday should also be the same as it is on Sunday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday. You don't have special Jesus conversation one day a week. No, you live this. And he said, if you'll live this and seek me first, you invite my power into your life to take care of the rest of your stuff. So by not seeking him first, I'm opting out of God's power working in my life. I'm opting out of God's power working in my marriage, in my relationships. And so we said, seek God first. That was the, bo- the foundation and bottom line. Today, we're going to specifically focus on the marriage relationship. Now, um, I did. I decided to throw a curveball because last week I was going to teach a, a certain message. Today it was going to be. I was going to call it "Trouble in Paradise." Essentially, what you do if, if you're a married couple or if you're in a relationship and you've gone through everything you need to go through and it's still struggling massively. But we're going to save that for next week because I had a great idea for this week's message at the end of last week. So I changed it up. I'm the pastor, and I'm going to do it. So next week is Trouble in Paradise. It'll be a powerful message, and I promise you we'll deal with heartbreak. We'll deal with single issues. We're going to deal with all kinds of things, and it'll be excellent. But today we've got something very important we're going to focus on. God has wired every single one of us for relationships. We are all wired for it. It's a design from God that we would, that we would live with healthy relationships. I mean, that is God's plan for you. You've got to understand that it is God's plan for you to have a healthy relationship. Remember, God is an each other kind of God. So our faith is actually at its strongest, at its best, when we work with each other. When we have healthy relationships in our life, that's when our faith is at its strongest, and it's, it's very important. Now, I will say this. I understand that there's some single people in here. You're not married, and you're, you're thinking, all right, Pastor Josh, we just went through Valentine's Day weekend. I saw all the, all the mushy pics and all the love quotes and all the hearts and all the candy and all the gifts and all that. And to be honest with you, I would rather spend my entire afternoon at Billy Bob's with a bunch of six-year-old cheerleaders all jacked up on Mountain Dew than hear another message on marriage. And I get that. But I'm just going to encourage you, don't check out. Don't check out because there is some truth in this that will help you. And odds are, you know, you still end up married at some point in your life. Um, If you're a married couple, 
definitely don't check out because this is very, very important. Remember, last week we discussed, if you weren't here, last week we discussed that the odds are not great. The odds are against you as a married couple. If anything, they're against you having a, having a happy, successful, fulfilled marriage. In this region, they're really against you. In fact, the odds are more likely that you end up split and divorced or unhappy. And so we decided, listen, we're going to change the odds in this church. We're going to change the odds in this region. And the only way we can do that is we get into God's Word. But that was our heart. And so um, intelligent people know this and realize this, that love is a choice. We understand that. Love is not just attraction. Love is not just mushy-mushy. Love is not just emotions. Love is a choice. It's a commitment. And healthy marriages make good, intentional choices on a regular basis, consistently. And you know what? They're not always easy choices, are they? They're not. Marriage is not always easy. By a show of hands, married couples, how many of you would say, Pastor Josh, yes, I agree. Marriage is not easy. Let me see. Yeah, that's right. Honest people. Thank you. Now, um, dating, dating is easy. Dating is a lot easier than marriage, and you don't realize that until you're married, but it's, it's easy, especially in comparison. So, you know, when you're dating, it's fun, it's passionate, it's explosive, it's all new, and so, you know, everything's a first time, and so you're thinking, oh my gosh, I talked to her on the phone for over an hour, for three hours, we were on the phone just sharing for hours and hours and hours, and her voice is just, her, it's so beautiful, and it's so contagious, and I, her laugh, it just brings me joy, and it's contagious also, and I just want so much of it, and, you know, the the, the ladies are like, oh my gosh, whenever we first started dating, oh, in those jeans, I could just watch him walk away all day long in them jeans. <laughs> and then you get married. And now, and now, fascinating, fascinating turns into uh, irritating and the laugh and the conversation isn't contagious. Her cough is and it's grossing you out. And you still watch him walk away in those jeans, but it's like in this husky plus-sized manner, a little bit of a wobble to it now. <laughs> yeah, instead of listening to your voice, you built a man cave with surround sound to drown it out. So what used to be intriguing and what used to be unique is now painfully familiar, and this happens. And so couples stop having fun, and they, and they stop connecting this way. And, you know, the, the wow and the oh, my gosh becomes eh, whatever. And it happens so quickly. So what is the deal? What causes that? What is, what is you know, what is the reason behind that? Well, I, I did some scientific research because you guys didn't know this about me, but as busy as I am leading this church, I'm also a scientist on the side. Why'd you laugh? And so I did some scientific research, and I, deci I discovered that there is actually a drug that is produced in your brain chemically when you're in a dating relationship with the passion and the energy and everything that goes on with that, and it's called dopamine. How many of you have heard of dopamine? And so in a, in a dating relationship, that dopamine is produced, and it's kind of an addicting drug, and you get addicted to this excitement and this passion. And so for all you non-scientific types that don't know what I'm talking about, let me break it down for you. Essentially, when you're in a real serious dating relationship, you're stoned on love. That's what it means. So congratulations, druggie, you got married. 
Now, I will tell you this, in, 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 a, in a service this size and with this morning and people watching online, I don't know the condition of your marriage. I don't know where it's at, but I know that it usually falls in within th- three categories. You've got a category over here where you've got a healthy, strong relationship, where your marriage isn't perfect. No marriage is, but it's a great relationship where you're growing together. And it's the kind of relationship that when other people look at it, they acknowledge it. They can see and they want, a, they want their marriage to look like that as well. Uh, then you've got a category over here in the middle, and this is where it used to be great, but for some reason some things have happened. Maybe some bad habits have developed, maybe there's been some stress, maybe there's been some anger, maybe there's been some hurt, and, and you love each other, and things are good, but they could be better. And then you've got another category where you're only married technically, where it's like a roommate kind of situation, where it's barely hanging on, and it's hard and it's difficult, and nothing comes easy, and the two of you are really struggling, and if something doesn't happen soon, you know it's probably not going to make it. And so here's what I know, and I don't know where your marriage is. I I will establish that again. I don't know where your marriage relationship is, Um, and I know that there are a lot of different steps and identifications between, you know, each category that we went over, but here's what I do know. Your marriage can get better. I know it. I know that your relationships can get better. They can improve. And the reason why I know this is because, and I'm a big believer that marriages can change. I've helped them myself. But the reason why I'm a big believer that marriages can change is because I'm a big believer in Jesus. And I know that Jesus gives us the ability to change and to make things right and to make things healthy and to make things whole. That's who Jesus is. And so if you'll take Jesus and his teachings and you'll align, you'll align your marriage, your relationship with the teachings that, God, that are in this word, I know that he can help. I know he can build and I know that he can improve. And so I want you to see what God's word says. Um, so the goal of marriage and the goal of any relationship that you start is not to just barely make it. It's to thrive. It's not just to barely hang on. It's not just to survive. It's not to struggle. It's to thrive in a relationship. I've done, so, I've done 20 years now of pre-marriage counseling, marriage counseling, but especially in pre-marriage counseling, and nobody comes into a pre-marriage counseling session and says, you know what, Pastor Josh, my goal is just to kind of hold out for about two to five years on this one. If we can get to that two to five years part, that'd be awesome. And at the end of that, I just want to, you know, walk out with the leather couches and minimal child support. I'd be happy. Nobody says that. No, they want a happy, healthy, blessed marriage for the rest of their lives, as long as we both shall live. That is the commitment. That is the vow. And guess what? That is God's plan. And so in order to know God's plan, you've got to get into God's word. That's the only way to know what God's plan is. You can't assume it. You can't absorb it. You've got to read it. And so this is where we're going to start today. And we're going to look in Genesis chapter 2. So pull out your notes. We'll follow along. Uh, Y'all in the back, I didn't get to that first part again. So we'll do that next week. If you have your Bible open to Genesis, if you don't know where Genesis is, that's why we give you these handouts, because if you couldn't find it in your Bible, surely you have fallen far from God. It's the very first book in the Bible. (laughs) Most of us have read this more than any other book because we started our annual Bible reading program and plan, and we got got halfway through Genesis and bailed. (laughs) Didn't make it to Leviticus. Genesis chapter 2, and we see God's design for marriage, and it begins with man being alone and how God observes that. And the Bible says that God saw man, and he said, it's not good that he's alone. So I need to do something. I need to make a helper for him, because this isn't right. And so he formed from the ground. He's, he's got the wild animals, and the Bible says that he, he put together the birds in the sky. And he, he said, um, hey, man, I need you to name them, what you're going to call them. But yet still, after all the animals and after all the birds and after all those things, he said, they're still not the right kind of helper. This is still not working out. This is not right. So God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he slept, 
Bible says that God took one of his ribs, opened him up, took one of his ribs out, and then, he, and then he, the Bible says he made a woman from that rib and brought her to the man. Verse 23, at last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh, and she will be called woman, for she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and that the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, the Bible says, and they felt no shame. Now, I'm going to point out a few specific references to what we just read. So what we find in Genesis, essentially it's the Genesis of marriage. So according to God's word, is, this is God's design. So I'm going to highlight just a couple passages here, starting with verse 18. He says, it's not good for man to be a what? Alone. Alone. Well, why? Why is it that not good? I mean, he had it all, right? Am I right? No crowds, no stress, no pressure. A full reign over everything, all the free food he could want. He's got everything he could ever want right here. It's like the perfect environment. Yet the problem was he was alone. He was alone. And God's original design is we were not created to be alone. So God says this isn't working. The birds and the animals, those are fine, but that is not still cutting it. And so God creates Eve. Eve, verse 23. And Adam wakes up after having rib surgery and he notices Eve beside him, and he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And I don't know about you, but I always thought that was kind of a weak response for a man who wakes up next to a naked woman for the first time. <laughs> Something had to be lost in translation, right? <laughs> where we, isn't that where we get the phrase, praise God, from? <laughs> praise God! Anyway... Gentlemen, can you imagine the scene? And I know you can because that's how God wired men is we, we have imaginations. And so I, can you imagine the scene? So women, um, every guy thinks that when Adam woke up, Eve appeared and this is what Eve looked like. Show him the Eve. Hair fixed, makeup done perfect, all glamorous, all that. That's what they all think Eve looked like. Now, again, remember, I'm a scientist in my spare time, and so I did some scientific research, and according to the research and the bone structure of that day, this is more likely what Eve would have looked like. <laughs> Take that off the screen immediately. So Adam wakes up to Eve. He wakes up to Eve, and in verse 18, God says, I need to make a helper, a helper that is suitable for him. Now, a lot of people including some men here. Some people here have taken this word helper and turned this into a sexist issue because, well, you know, woman came from man, so that means man is superior. Hey, woman, go make me a sandwich because that's what you're supposed to do. God said so. <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. You know, it actually couldn't be further from the truth that this word helper is so important, so important for us to understand because this is, again, this is God's intended relationship for man and woman here between male and female in marriage. And, so, and I will say this, one of the reasons why we don't really connect to this because in our culture we don't value helpers. Helpers are somebody that do something for us. They, they do our chores. We pay them. They move on. We move on. And so we don't really value helper nearly what we should. Um, you know, they're kind of at the bottom of the totem pole here. But according to this passage, helper is actually very, very important. And I put it in your notes. Helper means to surround, to protect, and to aid. So ladies, the word helper here is, is not a female meaning. It's not. If anything, it's a, it's a, a military one. Um, the idea here is reinforcement. It's reinforcement. So helper is not a term of weakness. In fact, when you look throughout the Old Testament, 
God refers to himself as the helper all throughout the Old Testament. The helper for the people, the helper for his people, the helper for his children. You cross over into the New Testament, and guess who Jesus calls the helper? He says, I've got to go so I can send the helper. Who's the helper? The Holy Spirit. That's how he's identified as our helper. And so is helper a term of weakness? Absolutely not. It's very important. It's very necessary. And so this picture here is not a picture of weakness. No, Adam is alone. God said, this is not a good thing. And so God blesses him with reinforcement. He blesses him with reinforcement. He's saying, I, you need someone to protect you, to surround you, to aid you, someone to compliment you, someone to work with you, not for you, work with you. And there is a huge, huge difference. So now Adam wakes up for the very first time in his life and there's Eve. He's finally got a helper, a, a helper with benefits. And he said, praise God. So the idea here, the idea here is that man is to help the woman and that woman is to help the man. We're to help each other. And so that leads me to the first question. Married folks, especially here today, how are you helping your spouse? How are you helping your spouse to win? Seriously, how are you helping your spouse? Knowing that this is God's original intent and design here, how are you helping your spouse win? Ladies, are you helping your husbands to win in the relationship? Are you, are you helping him to win his battles, his fights? Uh, men, are you helping your wife to win her battles, her, overcome her struggles? You know, uh, your spouse is not just your buddy. Your spouse is not just your best friend. It goes deeper than that. It goes stronger than that. Verse 24, um, the Bible says, when a man leaves his father and mother, they are united and the two become one. Now, in your notes, on your handout or in your Bible, you should underline or highlight the word united because that is a loaded word here. And you may not see it all, but it's actually describing, and if you've got children in here still, earmuffs, a sexual union. This is what he's describing here. He's, he's saying two are united and are joined together as one. And this is a graphic display of sexual intercourse. Did he just say sexual intercourse at church? Yes, he did. He's the new pastor. It's what he does. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about sex. I'm being honest, just, just for a moment. The Bible has a lot to say about it. And the church has been so silent for so long on it that the world's voice has become the loudest voice in this culture. That's a problem. You know, when I was younger, I would... I would, find, I would find verses like Proverbs 5.19. It's not in your notes if you're looking for it, but look it up later, you'll thank me. Proverbs 5, I would look that up and I would think, I didn't hear that in Sunday school. And I grew up in this church going to Sunday school. And we would learn all kinds of things. We would learn all kinds of things about the Old Testament and all the great Bible stories and we would cover. But these were not discussions, you know, Bible topics that were typically brought up. Even my parents didn't necessarily bring these up and teach them. And so we would do, like for example, we would learn about all of Solomon's great wisdom. How many of you grew up learning about the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon? Yeah, but then you get to the book called Song of Solomon. We wouldn't go through that when we would skip over it. And so me and my buddies, like JV, JV's here, we were in children's church, and we were like, why aren't we reading that? Why aren't we reading that? So one day we pulled it up and opened it up, and we were like, oh. <laughs> it describes what Solomon does with his wife, Shulamite. And I read that name, Shulamite, and I was like, Shulamite, now nah, pass. And then I read a little about what happened, and I was like, dear Lord, it may not be the greatest name, but from what I read, she's a keeper. If Meg and I had a third kid, we were going to name him Shul Shulamite. 
This is God's design. It's God's invention. It's God's plan for oneness. Um, so, so you can say what you want about marriage. You can say however you want to say it about 2020, your personal thoughts, and a lot of people do. They, but God's biblical perspective when it comes to marriage from day one, and it's been this way for thousands of years, is one man plus one woman in a monogamous, committed, united marriage. That's God's plan. Now, Jesus... Jesus puts an exclamation point on that in, Mark chap in Matthew chapter 19. So fast forward, look at Matthew 19. I've got to lay foundation here because it's very important. And he answered and he said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and join to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So now they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, I need you to know that this is just, this is not just some simple union. This is not just two people randomly coming together and it, and it working out. This is not how this works. Um, that also means this, that sex is not just no big deal. We live in a culture that is extremely sexualized. I mean, ridiculous. How many of you watched the halftime show at Super Bowl? Yeah, there was a stripper pole in it. What? I mean, give me a disclaimer or something. I mean, you can appreciate the athleticism. I, I don't know, but I was thinking, dear God, that's where we've come to. You start the Super Bowl by having a bunch of kids run out on the field and everybody cheering family, and you go to the halftime, and they're like, what the heck? <laughs> it's our culture. Our culture will tell you that it's not a big deal. Again, that's why the, the, the church's voice needs to be way louder than it has been and talk about the elephants in the room, and talk about the taboos, and talk about all the stuff that nobody else is really willing to talk about. We're going to in this church, not all at once, you're welcome, but we will talk about it in this church. And so we live in a culture where it's just taught that it's not that big a deal, and you know, it's just a, you know, it's just a physical transaction between two people, right? It's like high-fiving with clothes off, right? No! It's a very big deal. It's a very big deal. It's a big deal to Jesus. It's a big deal to the Word of God. And he says, listen, no. In marriage, it is a spiritual union that takes place. And he, and he draws a line. He says, you've got to know the difference between what has just been joined together and what God has joined together. Do you understand the difference? Because if you're just looking at what has joined together, that's where you find pain and regret and hurt and mistakes and heartache. But what God has joined together, don't no man better touch it. He draws a very clear, distinct line here. And Jesus, this is what the beautiful thing about God and his word is he's a God of restoration and he's a God of life. And so he says, no matter what, I can bring you back, but you got to get back to my plan. I can restore, but you got to get back to my plan, and I can restore this. And so, so marriage is not just about creating oneness. According to God's Word, you don't even really need to try to create oneness. According to Scripture, that oneness is already there. What we've got to figure out to do is how to not separate. You think it's the same, but it's not. You've got to learn how to not separate. So you've got to learn how to help each other to win. And so I'm going to share with you, share with you something that I shared it at the end of the service last week, and it's what prompted this message idea. And so here's what happened. I learned through the Word of God a principle. That principle changed my perspective, changed how I believe. That believing changed my thinking, changed how I thought about marriage and life and relationships. My thinking changed my actions. And when I changed my actions, guess what? It affected my marriage. It affected my life. And so that's what needs to happen in your life. Change your perspective, what you believe. Reformat your thinking. 
change your actions, and then it'll start to affect how you live. It'll affect your marriage. And, and, I, and I call it very, very simple, a very, very simple uh, principle. I call it the one heart principle, the one heart principle. And what I mean by that is this. I'm going to ask my wife to stand up and put her on the spot for just a moment. I'm not going to do anything weird, I promise. No, come here. <laughs> this is my beautiful wife. When I wound her heart, I wound my heart. Now, I know that's a negative way to put it, but when I encourage her heart, I'm encouraging mine. We are one heart. Jesus said this. It was in Genesis and then again in Matthew. To become one flesh. And so I need to learn to understand something, that what I do to her, what I do for her, I do to me. I do for me. This is very, very important. Thank you, babe. I just want to put my arm around her for a moment. All right, so, so follow me here. Follow me here. We're going to track. We are celebrating 20 years this August, 20 years of marriage, 20 years this August. And um, I don't know if Mark and Kim, yeah, they're here. They just celebrated 40 years this weekend. Congratulations to you two for 40 years. That's awesome. We got lots of different things. That we're excited about that. So here's what happens. In a marriage relationship, you have what I call relating patterns, your, your subtle or not so subtle ways to uh, take shots at each other, to manipulate what you want, to get what you want, the response you want, the actions you want from your spouse, from your husband, from your wife. You learn how, what makes them tick. You know what buttons to push. You know how to get from them what you want from them. It happens in every relationship, but here's what I need you to understand is that when you take those shots at your spouse, when you take those shots, those are not damage-free shots. They take their toll. They cause damage. In fact, they cause double damage because you thought that they were just something to get from, you, get from them or you, know, you thought it would be minimal and you didn't think it'd be a big deal. But no, by wounding them, guess who else you're wounding? Yourself. By hurting her or hurting him, you're hurting us. And this is important. This is so powerful. So I grew up, I grew up, I wanted to give you a visual. I grew up a Bugs Bunny fan. How many Looney Tunes fans do we have in here? You grew up, wasn't it nice to live in a day where, where, where cartoons could blow things up and kids didn't want to actually do it? Like, I'd never once thought, you know, um, I'm going to drop an anvil off a bridge on somebody's head today. That would be hilarious. no. You know, Bugs Bunny was always smoking, <laughs> smoking cigarettes or cigars and chasing each other, blowing each other. It was the best thing ever growing up as a kid and before political correctness. But Bugs Bunny, his arch nemesis was Elmer Fudd. Elmer Fudd was always trying to hunt him, never could catch him, though. Bugs always got the better hand. But this is a picture. This is what it looks like. This is what I'm talking about. Anybody remember this growing up? Bugs Bunny would take that rifle and point it right back to him. He'd shoot it. It's like that's the, that's the mental picture I wanted you to see. So you, you go to shoot and hurt, hurt that person, but really who are you hurting? You're only harming and hurting yourself. And so what that means too is this. When I ignore an opportunity to love her and serve her the way God wants and intended for me to do, I'm damaging her. But by damaging her, guess who else I'm damaging? I'm damaging us. This is how this works. It's the one heart principle. All right, well, Pastor Josh, how do I know I'm wounding him? How do I know I'm wounding her? Oh, this is, this is not complicated. What is it that wounds you? What is it that you want out of a relationship? I, I will use myself as an example. I am, by nature, an extremely selfish person. Y'all don't even have any clue of how selfish I really am. 
I'm really selfish. And I'm thankful to Jesus that he got hold of my heart and changed my life. I don't think anybody in here would really like me. Maybe a few of you, Bo, would probably like me because we're both kind of jerks. <laughs> but I'm, I'm very selfish. Now, if you ask my wife and say, hey, how, how selfish is Pastor Josh? She's going to say he's not selfish at all. You want to know why? Because I applied this principle. And I learned that if it's something that my heart would want, instead of just wanting what I want, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to know that if I, my, heart, my heart wants it, her heart wants it. So instead of just looking to serve myself, I now say, all right, I want to serve her. Because if that's what my heart would want, then that's what her heart would want also. So that means this, how it works out practically is if I'm, I'm downstairs and say she's left her purse downstairs on the kitchen table or say she's left her cell phone on the kitchen table or say there's a basket of folded laundry sitting on the floor or something like that. So I, in that moment, I think to myself, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to look at it and then walk upstairs and be like, hey, babe, you left the laundry downstairs. Prop up on the bed. Hey, while you're down there, bring me up something to drink. Or... Am I going to think, what would my heart want? If I was upstairs, comfortable laying in bed already, the day's already over, and, I knew that, and she knew that I had left my cell phone downstairs, what would my heart want? So that's what I do. I serve her. And so I take the laundry upstairs, or I take her cell phone upstairs. I don't, I don't do it and hang it over her head. Yeah, I brought that up. Don't leave it downstairs anymore, please. No. We have one heart. One heart. And so by serving her, I'm serving me. By serving her, I'm encouraging and building us. That is how the one heart principle works. Um, show of hands in here. How many of you admit, Pastor Josh, uh, I also could be selfish at times. Let me see. For those that didn't raise your hand, that's what we call denial. <laughs> Live on whatever planet you want to. You put me in any marriage situation and I can point out what selfishness wants. I can. I know what it looks like. I know what it is. But I also know what my spouse would want because that's what I would want. That's what I would want in that situation. So, so that's how this works. When she wins, we win. When I win, she wins. It works and reciprocates both ways. It's the one heart principle. Some of you are like, Pastor Josh, that is brilliant. That is brilliant. That's so profound. You should, you should totally write a book. I'd love to, except I totally ripped this off totally ripped it off. You want to know who I ripped it off from? Jesus. It's already in a book. You know what that book is? The Bible. Matthew. Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. And everything you do, do to others what you would have them do to you. Golden rule. This is not complicated or breaking or new. This is scripture. It's found in God's word. So here's what happens, and this is what God wants us to see. When you see your spouse as a separate entity, you see them separate from you, it becomes easier for you to wound them. When you see them as a separate entity, it becomes easier for you to take shots at them. It, it becomes easier for you to be passive-aggressive. It becomes easier for you to dismiss or to withhold or whatever your relating patterns that we discussed are, whatever they may be, it becomes easier for you to do that because, hey, he's separate from me. She's separate from me. But whenever I realize, according to God's word, that that's not God's design for marriage and God's design is for a marriage is to become one, now I realize we're one. We're on the same team. We've got one heart. What happens to you happens to me. What happens for you happens for me. 
And it's very, very, very important. And now, this same principle applies in spiritual growth as well. Why do you think we say be the church every day? It's because we want you to realize that Jesus isn't just in your heart on Sundays. That you take Jesus with you everywhere you go. That if you're, if you're watching a UFC fight with a bunch of fellas and a bunch of guys on a Saturday evening, guess who you've got still in your heart if you're following Jesus? You've got Jesus! If you're at school teaching a bunch of kids, guess who's still in your heart? Jesus. So we want you to understand, be the church everywhere you go, because you don't just get to put Jesus on a shelf once you leave your house or you leave the church. This is real. There's a unity here. There's a strength here. All right, Jesus is with you. Jesus will be with you in your car ride on the way home after you all discuss him. Man, what a great message Pastor Josh had. You'll, Jesus will be with you um, whenever your wife says, hey, guess what? We forgot something. We got to go to Walmart. Will Jesus go to Walmart? Probably not. Jesus will wait in the car for that one. <laughs> now that I think, no, of course he's with you. It's a spiritual principle. This is impactful. This is powerful. It's the promise of God's presence. And so all of a sudden now, I want to take this unity and take this oneness, and I want it to change my perspective. I want it to change the way I think so it'll change my actions, how I treat my spouse, how I see them, how I love them, how I serve them. And when I start to change my actions, guess what will happen? It'll start to affect the marriage in a positive, powerful way. Now, here's what happens. By default, typically somebody responds with, yeah, but they're not serving me. They're not loving me. They're not helping me win. I'm like, oh, here we go. Blame. Jump right into the blame game. Pointing the finger. Well, it's their fault. It's their fault. Now, if that's you, I have a practice that I do for couples when I'm helping them. I have them draw a circle on a piece of paper or on a whiteboard. It represents a pie. Today, we'll call it chocolate pie because that's the mood I'm in. And so I'm going to say, this is a pie. Now, I need you to shade in the part of this pie that you're at fault for, that you're responsible for. And at first they start to shade in and it's this tiny piece and then it starts to just slowly grow. Oh, nuts, he got me. Because you begin to realize that I'm more at fault than I realize, that I've got more responsibility in this than I realize. And you've got to take your eyes off of you or off of your spouse and put them right back onto your heart and what's going on in your, in your life. And this is, in very, this is very, very important. And so, and so I want to pick on just a couple things, and then we're going to be dismissed. We're going to pray, and then we're going to be dismissed. One is this. If there is any form of pride, pride is one thing that looks ugly on everybody. Pride is. It's so awful, and it disrupts and it destroys. The Bible has a lot to say about pride. The Bible teaches in Proverbs 11 that pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 29, pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. Pride says, I'm not wrong. Pride says, I'm not at fault. Pride says, it's all your fault. Pride says, you should have. Pride says, you should have done this and you should have done that or you shouldn't have done. That's what pride does. And according to scripture, pride leads to destruction. Every single time leads to that. And so I've seen people lose their marriage to win an argument. Are you kidding me? The Bible teaches, clothe yourself in humility. In humility. Humility is not weakness. Humility is strength. It is grace. Remember, we said in the beginning, we are going to filter this through the mercy and compassion of God that's renewed every single morning. Men... Let me tell you something. You start to deal with that pride, that blaming that I refuse to apologize. You start to strip that off and clothe yourself in humility. You're going to start looking so much more attractive to your spouse. You're going to be like a, a, a Christian looking Thor. 
all tough and buff and beautiful. You're going to become so attractive. Wives, if you will strip that pride and that blame first, gosh, you're going to look so much more attractive to your husband. It's because that unity is starting to kick in once again. That grace and that mercy and that love is starting to apply. And the Bible teaches again that love doesn't fail. God's love doesn't fail. I made a quick list of what humility looks like. Humility looks like this. It enables you to keep your mouth shut so that your spouse experiences a win and isn't hurt by your words. Humility is using words that build your spouse up without needing words returned back in your direction. Humility is secure with listening rather than always talking or talking over just to prove a point. Humility is okay choosing discomfort so your spouse can be comfortable. Humility reconciles instead of retaliates. Humility is quick or the first to say, I'm sorry. Humble people make other people feel good when they're around them. Humble parents raise secure children. I know, I know a lot of men that you yell and scream and bark at your kids and it might get the job done, but I'm just telling you, prideful men raise insecure children. They do. I've seen it over and over and over again. It ends up being destructive. You can't just look at the world's stereotypical picture of what a man and what a woman is because it is wrong. It is wrong. That cannot and should not be your guide because to the world, the stereotypical man is prideful. He's arrogant. And you know, the woman needs you to lead men. They need you to, she needs you to lead. But the Bible says that Jesus was the greatest leader. But as the greatest leader, you know what he said? He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. So the greatest leaders are those that put, those that put the welfare of those they're leading before themselves. Just like Jesus. And for the women, you've got to learn to honor your husbands, in a way that God teaches that honor is. Honor, honor is what he needs from you. And so you don't, is it, it's easy to honor a man or a husband when he always does the right thing and he never screws up and he's always on top and he's always the champion and he's always the winner. It's easy to honor those people, right? But what takes a real mature woman of God is to honor someone even when they fail. And so your rule of thumb is honor him where you want him to be, not where he is. Choose to love him and honor him the way God's plan is kicking in for him. And honor him where you want him to be, not where he is. One heart principle this morning. There's so much more that God has for our marriages. Man, the divorce stats and the stories, they grieve my heart. Man. But again, the more we draw, to, draw closer to Jesus, the closer we draw together. And again, if you'll start to see yourself as one, not two separate, but one. And understand what happens to you happens to me. What I do for you, I do for me. Build us up together. You'll start to see your marriage transformed.